Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Pod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry. Today, we're speaking with Jake Kanoth, um, CEO of Barn Pros. Welcome, Jake. Thanks for having us, Michael. Um, well, as we, we were just sort of talking offline, I think uh, it sounds like you are a, I don't know, pseudo family business. Um, so it'd be great to learn a little bit more about the history of Barn Pros. Absolutely. Yeah. I would call it generational, you might say. Um, the history of our company is pretty interesting. Basically, we have been around for just over 30 years. We had our 30th birthday about a week ago, actually. Um, so a little bit before that, our two founders have been working together. Um, but it basically looks like this. Throughout the late 80s, our founders had met and were working on um, a number of spec projects, uh, a few custom homes together. And throughout the 90s, this is up in just outside of Seattle, Washington, the east side, if you're familiar with the area, um, they began to build homes, but realistically, they had built their first barn together. And this story becomes really interesting. I'll try to keep it short for the podcast, but basically, um, that barn went really well. They fell in love with the post and beam style of construction during that process, um, and they began to do more. Uh, it started to catch on in our area, and then really... As Seattle grew, especially as, say, Microsoft moved in a couple towns over, uh, we kind of got on their bulletin board. And then all of a sudden, um, we began to really catch on in our area. And so throughout the 90s, we became kind of a large regional general contractor specializing in barn construction and really two barns. We would do um, indoor riding facilities. We would do shops. But the focus was really these high quality, high end barns. Um, and then. Throughout, and was this a and was this hundred percent on on site at that time, or was there sort of a kit component the whole time? So this was hundred percent on site. Um, they were really sort of you could say going through the not the motions, but the learning as it pertained to doing the same thing continually. Yeah. But they were doing it on site, and this yeah. is over you know dozens and dozens of projects. Towards the end, there they had about three full time crews operating. Um, but eventually they opened a just kind of a warehouse locally where they started to do some of their door components, the things that took them a long time on site. And they realized that they could do it faster and more securely um, in a contained environment. You know, you're environmentally controlled, you're inside, it's warm or whatever. Um, and hence, you know, that was the the sort of advent of a little bit of prefabrication for us 25 or so years ago. Um, so where the story gets exciting is in the early 2000s, about 2002 uh, we opened our first website. And if you go to the Wayback Machine, it's pretty interesting to go see it back in Microsoft front page. Um, but they began to uh, advertise and they did so with paid search in like 2003, way before it was cool. Yeah. And um, it really exploded for us. What happened was we were advertising supposedly locally, but it was so new that uh, it was getting national traction. And so we'd have folks coming, you know, calling up from back east saying, hey, um, I'd love for you guys to come build for me. And for us, we're sitting here in Western Washington going, wait, we, you know, we can't really service Georgia. And it became kind of this confusing thing because the Internet was so new for everybody. Um, and so basically, our founders looked at each other. Their names were Jeff and Steve. And they looked at that and said, you know what? I bet we could provide the value that we have here in terms of architectural experience. Probably hundreds at that point. It's, it's hard to say. Um, but hundreds of iterations gained in terms of, um, again, this was primarily horse barns at that time. So stall configurations, sizing, what the components needed to look like, what made for a high quality horse stall, all sorts of stuff that's pretty deep into the equestrian world, um, but offer that value on a national scale. And so that was the first time that they began to do kits. That was in 2003. 
And from 2003 until right up to the recession, about 2007, we grew almost in a couple of years over 100% per year, literally like four or five years in a row. So it was an incredible time frame um, moving. And was this all barn? Like, not, I mean, I know now, and we'll get to your products, like you do barns, but you also do all sorts of other cool sort of adjacent things. Was this all barns at that point? At that point, it was all barns. That's correct. Um, And a quick note on that. So today, barns are, um, they are the heritage, they are the namesake, they are the style. Uh, but true equestrian or equine facilities are probably, say, 30 to 40 percent of um, our overall sort of project base, if you will. Yep. Vast majority are residential and then but it's barn style homes. Right. Um, yeah. And then there's a lot of shops in there. And a lot of our favorite projects, we do a ton nowadays of breweries, wineries, event venues, right. wedding venues. Commercial stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Pseudo commercial. That, that, that's a really interesting topic in terms of permitting and the technicalities right. of, you know, commercial versus not. But um, anyway, yeah, the barn style wedding was definitely a fun ride for us over the past decade or so. Yeah. As that really was in vogue and uh, becoming very popular. But um, yeah, so. That became basically, you know, the recession came around. It slowed down a lot of builders. Um, for us, it curbed the, say, 100% year over year growth to something more normal, 20, 30%. Still great. Um, the advantage that we found during that time was uh, because this is a package um, or kit, but we, we call it materials packages, a couple of reasons for that. Yeah. Um, but you're leveraging the expertise of a local contractor or back in the day, uh, you know, 20 years ago, permits were not handed to you, but they're a little bit easier than they are now. And general construction practices were, um, could be say simpler, uh, for a number of reasons. And, um, you know, a lot of homeowners on the smaller structures could take a stab at it themselves. Whereas today, you know, our average footprint is about 4,300 square feet. So it's not quite approachable to do it yourself. Yep. Um, but during the recession, we had work and that's something that really, uh, helped in terms of, our clients or our customers finding somebody to work with to bring their project to life for them. Um, so post recession, uh, things picked up again, kept moving, and uh, you know that's what almost probably twelve years ago to where we are today. And um, the last say decade has been very interesting in terms of product expansion and watching changes throughout the industry. Um, the biggest changes happening in the past couple of years uh with obviously what's been going on in the world and i'll i'll pause on that because i'm sure we'll get into the logistics of COVID and how that's affected everything but yeah so yeah so so let's talk about kind of product expansion etc so um in are the when you talk about residential so you have i think i'm just looking at your website now you have you know five sort of residential structures and i think they're in kind of a couple different sizes are those the the basic models you're um, creating packages for, or are there other ones as well? So all of our model configurations are on the website. Um, the biggest changes that you'll see. So basically you have a starting package and on our website, you'll see starting at pricing. Um, yeah. what that means for us though, is it's not a stripper sort of, you know, base, base options. It's really a common configuration. So we'll take, yep. you know, our, our, Den- well, let's use our Denali and we can use that for a couple of use cases here. Um, that's our most common model, a Denali 48. So the way we term our models is the Denali is the use case. It's, you know, the level of engineering that dictates foundation style, that dictates framing style. Um, and then 48 is the length. So again, Denali 48 is very common. Yep. Um, 
but uh, we just did a Denali 108 uh, down in Nevada. And so you get um, variance in sizing. Right. And then from there, um, basically, we designed these to be very, very configurable. Um, right. The biggest competition that we would see is basically a, you know, you go find a local architect and maybe a local engineer and you put together a custom build. For us, we achieve near custom through heavy configuration and personalization is really our approach to that. Right. Um, and uh, so, like, I'm looking at the Denali plan, which, nice. uh, at least based on your site, is... Uh, Right. It's essentially like kind of an open right floor where the barn would be. And then, right, it's like a uh, it's like a pretty big, like three or four bedroom kind of full size apartment on the, um, you know, on the upper floor. When people buy that, um, as you're saying, it's very configurable. Yeah. Um, are they frequently also using the lower floor for residential or is that, you know, garage? Great question. Or- so, um more and more commonly folks are using the lower floor which makes a lot of uh traditional conversations much easier be that around financing be that around comparables because you don't have a 2000 square foot home over a 2000 square foot shop it can be very hard to figure out the value of that um uh, for from just from a comparables perspective is what i mean but yeah so um usually downstairs is there's always at least one entry room has to be fire blocked right so that's always a kind of a minimum 12 by 12. and then oftentimes folks will expand that just to have maybe a a, a bigger mud room say at a bathroom uh, with a big shower um, and that's a really common thing uh, more and more commonly though folks are doing entire say living rooms downstairs with uh, you know big open to above floor plans um, which is really pretty cool. The buildings are really tall. The Denali is about, you know, it, it depends on a couple of factors, but usually lands between a 26 and a 28 foot ridge. Right. So if you're standing on the ground floor and you're in a great room, it's just massive open feeling to it. And so, yeah, more and more commonly folks are adding that downstairs. Um, oh, actually one quick note on that. Recently, a couple of years ago, we expanded um, the sort of the Denali's little brother is a smaller mountain peak, the Huntington. And um, we expanded that to have a true, you know, designed for it two-story model. That's our Rainier barn home. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then um, on these, uh, I guess one of the um, sort of questions I had is, uh, so are there, are there, are there internal beams on, on these things um, or is it all external? Like how, how does that work in terms of configurability? Yeah. Awesome. So basically uh, this is true post and beam style construction. Um, we have some hybrid kind of timber frame elements in there. And then in some of the residential models, we will leverage uh, bearing stud walls uh, tastefully. Um, but so basically the structures are built upon a grid system and it's that repeatability that you'll see kind of as a pattern through uh, a lot of our business and what we do. Um, but on those 12 foot grids, so if you follow the outside of the structure you know, to that point, you'll have the primary beams or in this case would be the primary posts are all located in the exterior walls. Um, and then you'll have a couple on the inside of the floor plan. So in a, a Denali 36, for example, you'll have four. Um, so there will be just four inside, um, usually in a barn. That's where you'll <laughs> mount your stall components to. Upstairs, you'll have usually, those are kind of the intersection of where a hallway meets a bedroom and it's in a wall anyways. Um, and then kind of one nice, say, center point in a great room to give you that um kind of lodge feel a lot of folks go for kind of the mountain modern or um, modern rustic type approaches to their styling and it fits in well with that got it and and uh 
like how how do you sort of develop and come up with these different options right because as you're saying I, you've certainly been in this sort of this industry a lot longer than i have but i mean in our site like we get thousands and thousands and thousands of requests every month for people who are like i want to build like kind of you know like barn modern or you know like like some kind of variant on you know barn feeling etc residential um so yeah so i I mean i'm I'm sure there's a a gazillion different options you would go with how do you sort of (laughs) land on the sort of specific plans you have so uh the the part you mentioned about the requests is really a driving factor for us and it's really interesting to see that flow over the course of uh, a couple decades so basically um, you know, we have uh, we are lucky to have very high volume uh, traffic to our website and um, and just in general. And so over the last, say, 20 years with a couple thousand structures out there, it's taking in the feedback and trying to build that into institutional knowledge. Um, and so a, a small use case example is that Denali, which is, again, our primary you know residential model, that's what folks will go for, came from our Olympic. And the Olympic is basically envision that same roof line. So for those of you listening, it's a it's a nine twelve roof pitch. So it's not you know cathedral steep, but it's a nice it's steep, steep pitch. Yeah, yeah. It's got a couple of um, you know gable dormers to add some architectural flair to the roof line. We have, um, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll simplify that a little bit. But so a little bit of architectural flair in the roof line. It's about a twelve foot six sidewall. Um, and in the case of the Olympic, it's a true barn. So that was kind of the OG, if you will, the original uh, barn pros barn design that really helped us grow throughout the 90s, kind of in that version one phase of doing this locally before we went to package format. Um, what ended up happening is, especially in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, I mean, it's kind of happening right now, again, with the changes California has made uh, in terms of the ADU buzz that's been going on. Yeah. But um, that was happening a lot at that time. Everyone called it a mother-in-law, um, but they were adding apartments into the Olympic. And so what that drove was, okay, you had this apartment style Olympic, apartment style Olympic. We made kind of an offshoot, some modifications to the Olympic to make it better suited. Um, in those days, we were using girts on the upstairs wall framing to hold the siding because it was true. Post and beam, no stub wall was needed. But eventually we switched that. So all the upper upper gable framing and upstairs framing as a whole was stud wall. So when people added an apartment, it made sense. Um and then eventually we thought, well, why don't we just make a barn that is literally made for this? And so now our Denali, um, you know, we basically change some of the grades. So the loft grade is a little bit taller. Um, it comes standard with a wider array of dormer options that get you the clearance you need upstairs. Um, in a true barn apartment, um, the style is, you know, so popular, but a true barn apartment with a steep roof pitch where it meets a loft, it's not that usable on the sides because you get too low clearance. Um, so we have, we call them shed dormers, but it's basically, you know, lift the roof pitch in that area from nine twelve to say five twelve, So you get plenty of head clearance, um, to have this usable apartment space. Other things we did with the Denali were convert to what is most commonly now a stem wall style foundation, um, as opposed to a true embedded post design in the original barns. Um, the loft floor, for example, a barn style loft floor is a ledger, an LVL ledger in this case, and you hang her on. Uh, all your floor joists, which works amazing in a barn. The point for that is you get head clearance because you don't have any beam work below your floor. Um, but the problem is when you go to do it in a house, you can't drill through those LVLs and you don't really have a great chase for plumbing. Um, 
it's harder to insulate. There's a lot of challenges. So all our residential lines have a more conventional, um, there's a glue lamp beam below each loft section and then the loft joists just run over that like you would see uh, on the first floor in a home that's over a crawl space, for example. Yeah. And are you, are you doing, do you work with outside architects? Or are you kind of designing them in house? Um, yeah. How's that work? So the cool part about the history is um, uh, a short answer. Yes. <laughs> um, we've had a lot of both. So basically uh, we did a, in 2000 and oh, I think it's 2017, maybe 2018, we did a revamp on the Denali's um, and we did an entire set of floor plans uh, with an outside architectural firm. So um, that was advantageous in the sense that the stock floor plan was fully thought through, um, that flows nicely, you get good views. Um, and then additionally, uh, some of the floor plans and de designs will be client driven over the years. Um, there are some stuff that we try to keep architecturally interesting or make sense, uh, but there are some features that folks just you know continually ask for and we'll try to work those in where we can. Uh, for example, our decks grew as a result of uh, customer request. <laughs> that makes uh, sense. But the really interesting one that's probably the most fun is a lot of our clients or customers are architects. And so what's interesting for us is our primary user is the person receiving the value, the customer, the homeowner, right? Um, but due to the way our program works, we get a lot of folks who are general contractors who have a client and they want to build, whether it's a barn style home or an actual barn or, you know, the outbuilding. And they come to us because they can see the expertise. It simplifies it for the builder. Um, and same thing for an architect. Usually what will happen there is if you have um, raw land, someone's building a new home, they want, you know, they're all, the architect is focused on the home and they are delivering their value into this really nice custom home, but they want to complement that with a beautiful barn. Maybe they either don't have barn experience or don't have the time. That's where they search, hey, can I find a barn? They find us. And then it becomes this great complement to a custom build or something on, on raw land from that example. That's cool. So um, let's talk about this sort of from the sort of consumer perspective. Sure. Um, so, and let's, if, if it's cool, uh, uh, let's, let's assume, actually it doesn't really matter what plan we would <laughs> use for this um, exercise. Uh, but yeah, let's say I'm coming because I wanna do something residential in nature with you all and you know I, I see some plan i like on the website um yeah what 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 are the next steps and how does this work to sort of from like hey i think i want to build this with you all to like you know i'm uh like i have a certificate of occupancy and all that stuff what are what are the sort of steps in terms of working with you all hiring gcs how does that happen etc yeah thank you that's that is a perfect question so um one call out i'll make is the resource center on our website is geared towards this it's something we're really really working on right now to continue to help folks in their in their kind of which phase they're in whether it's you know a long ways out or if they're starting in the near term or if they're like no i want to build this you know right now this summer i'm ready to go uh we kind of gear that towards the different uh, phases of planning if you will but it basically looks like this um, so usually folks will have found our website and oftentimes, uh, they will be interacting with our marketing and our resource materials. We have a beautiful print catalog we do, and, um, that can be a few months or we get a lot of stories. There's a beautiful winery, uh, that we did over in Chelan, Washington this last year. And, you know, they had been looking at the, the particular barn model for almost a decade and it's this oh, wow. beautiful story. 
But so during that time, usually they're, they're doing the research. Um, almost always these are folks sort of first uh, build that they've done. Usually it's, you know, I sold my house and I want to build this, you know, my dream house or um, I bought my house, but I want to add an ADU or I want to add a barn, something like that. Um, so usually they're doing some planning, but in the kind of the most conventional way, they've looked at the website, experienced some of the resources. Maybe they found the prefab review and they're, you know, learning, right? But they call us up. Um, our sales team is geared less towards sales, you would say, and more toward helping understand the needs of the client and matching them with the right structure. Um, our absolute kind of success is to get the perfect structure based on understanding the needs of the project and moving from there. So really that I can, I can, you know, pause or skip past this, but basically um, when they call, there's a big question of, okay, I want to build a barn in my yard. Usually folks will have an understanding of kind of what they're looking for and they might have a model they've already looked at, but the basic intent is to figure out, um, you know, what are their goals for the project? If we can prioritize those to where, you know, if you ran short on room or money or time or whatever, would you rather have three bedrooms or three stalls or three car garage? Prioritize those so you can really get into design. Um, from there, it's looking at parameters, be that the land itself. You know, we say the dirt drives the design in a lot of ways. So what can the property truly fit? You don't want to put too much building on a property and ruin the sort of estate feel. But you also building not enough building can leave you feeling dissatisfied dissatisfied but leaving wanting more i guess is a better way to put that um so what does the dirt have to say about it what does the county or the jurisdiction have to say about it we use county because almost all of our projects are rural we right yep probably 15 percent are the city of and the other 85 percent, if there's a permit is um you know county of is usually how that goes yep um and then the last parameter being the financing of the project how will it, you know how's it going to be paid for um is it Financing is probably a different topic, but how's it going to go? So therefore, what what equals the budget? And that all leads to design. And so for us, um, our goal is to help share institutional knowledge to our client base so that they can kind of understand, OK, so based on, you know, the information that I saw and in talking to Barn Pros, I now have an understanding that, you know, I'm thinking the Olympic 60 is a great fit for my property, um, hopefully during this time. They have uh, been looking for a local builder um, or, you know, usually folks will oftentimes already have someone. Um, they have found someone that they want to work with to build, but they're so early in the process of, hey, I want to build something um, that they may not have selected somebody yet. So either um, they've already found a builder they want to work with or they know someone or someone was recommended or um, they choose a model with us. And then now that they're armed with, you know, an initial set of elevations and a couple of weeks later, a set of fully site engineered blueprints, you know, they're armed with what they're actually building and can go find a general contractor if they haven't already. Yeah. So how, so how's that work? Um, because uh, in terms of like, right, you all obviously provide like, you know, whatever packaging materials, kit, et cetera. But um for some of these municipalities, right, some level of permitting is, is almost definitely is likely going to be needed. Yeah. Um, and at least like some level of construction docs, right, is going to be needed to get bids oftentimes from the GC. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So sequentially, is it like, is there a deposit or some amount of money um, in order for you to provide sort of whatever plans are necessary for that? Or how does that work? So our goal in the beginning of the process is to, in our opinion, sort of over deliver on value. So we will do basically the entire structural blueprint set and elevations and sort of the construction docs that they would need from us, um, starting from just a flat $10,000 deposit. 
Um, we don't ask for any money again until it's time to ship the structure. And there's a, you know, depends on the structure, but basically um, usually it's a, a progress payment about a month or six weeks prior to departure. And then okay. about three weeks prior. But so, um, so basically, so 10K should hopefully get you through. Is there is there engineering involved with that as well? Or is that not an, an engineered? So um, all of our projects are fully site engineered um, to meet or exceed any code. It can be really tricky sometimes in like Wyoming or Tennessee, um, where there's really no jurisdiction to talk to. And so then you go, basically you flow. If you're in Washington or California, it's super easy. You flow from the state to your local jurisdiction, but obviously there's standards and you kind of know what to expect. Um, places where there's no local jurisdiction, you, we just flow from the state and flow downward to the most specific information that can be found um, and go from there. So usually, I mean, always the state will have, you know, which version of the IBC or their flavor of it, if they're California yeah. um, on what they want to do. And so it's, you know, working downward from there, but so it's fully site engineered. Um, and that is included in the package of, or included in the price of the package, as well as shipping to site. So in the one price that we provide, um, it's exactly, you know, everything that will be included. And we're not going to throw in add-ons on there of, of, you know, say, oh, engineering is variable or, um, you know, shipping is variable or whatever for the okay. product line. It's just included. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh that's helpful. And then, okay, so then basically the consumer, it sounds like they normally hire, do you have a network or do they normally hire the sort of GC direct? So um, yes and no. Basically uh, in the current moment, we've gone through different phases of this and that's like, it's interesting. We can speak to the pros and cons of different uh, phases. For a long time, we maintained an actual builder network that we were referring from where, you know, it was a full sort of barn pros program, you know, here's a builder. Um, and then there have been other points in time where, you know, especially in the beginning where we didn't have much to offer. Nowadays, we've landed on what we prefer, what we found to be most successful, which is basically uh, we have a long list of folks who have built our product before um, that our customers have worked with. And if the customer enjoyed the experience, we'll share the contact information. Um, we're careful of that because of this. So, you know, there's a couple, there's a gentleman in Texas who is uh, one of our favorite builders. He's been building with us for a decade. He's done dozens and dozens of these and pretty much everyone loves him because he's a great guy. He's a good old boy, really good builder and good pricing. Um, but, you know, not everybody gets along. And so, you know, 10 clients have had a great experience with this builder, but then you have, um, you know, maybe something isn't perfect on another iteration. And so it can be tricky from that perspective because we're not doing it in-house. So the way we approach that again is looking at the success that clients have had. If the client had a good experience, they had a good experience with their builder, we will recommend from there. Um, but beyond our referrals uh, or recommendations, really, um, our preferred method is basically this. We design the package to be very buildable. So um, one of our primary filters when it comes to design intent and how we engineer, uh, how it goes together is, um, I mean, to put it simply, I guess, buildability, but um, let's use that Denali, for example. Um, we switched from a foundation that I might argue is, you know, more affordable via, you know, say a very simple thickened edge, um, where because it's possible, but we've moved that to a stem wall foundation by standard. And what that does is basically you can take this to a guy or a gal or, you know, a general contractor who has never built one of these before. If they have experience building homes or if they've ever touched post and beam, we design the packages to be approachable. Um, so put another way, we do have 
a list of folks that we can recommend from, but more importantly, really this is designed to be built by, you know, any licensed general contractor who can read a set of plans and understand what they're up to. Got it. So, um, and then in terms of like sort of, uh, site feasibility, et cetera. Do you need a crane to put these up or no? Ooh, yeah, that's a cool question. So that gets into a, a really interesting topic. And that's what we call basically, you know, hybrid, pre, hybrid prefabrication, excuse me, where um, you don't need a crane because it's not, you know, a series of 12 foot, you know, pre-done say panels or sections that get craned in. It's primarily site built, but um, a crane can be useful depending on the size of package. Um, basically, that answer gets tuned for: Are we talking about a you know a two thousand total square foot uh, shop, or are we talking about a you know six thousand square foot wedding venue? Um, there's kind of a big discrepancy there. But um, in we have a, a series of buildings that are meant for indoor um, horse facilities, horse riding. There's it's called an arena um, that has a sixty foot steel truss. So obviously, you need a crane for that. Yeah. Um, but for our most common designs, the barns, the shops, et cetera, it can almost always be done with just a telehandler. So, um, you know, the favorite machine for that is usually, a it's an, is it like an 80, 40 is what they call them, but it's an 8,000 pound lifting capability. 40 foot boom machine is usually yeah. all that's needed. Got it. Okay. So just cause one of the, so, you know, we deal with kit, we deal with modular. One of the things from a feasibility standpoint, we always try to figure out is like, to actually build this house, like what are the pieces of equipment you need in terms of, right, like trucks to get the material and et cetera, just because, yeah. you know, we have all sorts of people trying to like find the coolest, most remote piece of land possible and build stuff. And <laughs> just, yeah. you know, some, sometimes that's feasible. Some coming, sometimes it's not. Right. Um, I guess moving on um, to sort of some of the sort of more fun, possibly outlierish things. Sure. We get a good amount of requests from people for uh, party barns. I'm sure oh, you, you get yeah. some of those as well. Uh, can, you t- can you talk a little bit about uh, your experience with those? Yeah. It's, I love that you mentioned Party Barn. That is a fun outlier because it lands smack dab in the middle between this is a barn and this is a house. It is both, but it's also neither. Um, and they are a, I would say, if I had to throw a percentage at it, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll put it this way. It's a, it's a high percentage of what we do because you get... Um, Usually it'll start as for us, the, you know, some folks will come in straight to a party barn. That's usually if it's going to be a venue, they already know what they want and Hey, this is what I need. Uh, But usually what happens is they're going to do a barn um, or a shop or whatever. And they realize, okay, well, they were thinking about the first floor. So where am I going to park my boat? Where am I going to put my RV? Um, Where am I going to put, you know, the toys or the workshop or the blacksmith shop or the wood shop or whatever it is. And then you, and then you have upstairs. Usually that started with, oh, we'll put the Christmas ornaments up there. But then you realize that it's, you know, 12 foot clear in the middle and you've got a ton of room. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, you know, we could have a lot of fun with that. Let's put a pool table up there. Let's um, start to, you know, add to it. And before you know it, you have this really, really cool party bar. Um, So for us, basically what we do is try to figure out the intent if the party barn is just you know the occasional hangout but it's primarily meant to be an outbuilding be that the shop or you know um the barn say uh we will recommend one of our barn structures the reason being it's way more cost effective to build an embedded post design where it's applicable where it makes sense um but if someone's going to do something where hey i want my party barn to be you know i'm not living in it 
but I want it to have a bathroom. I want it to be fully insulated. Um, I want it to be, you know, um, basically a house, but it just doesn't technically have a bedroom from a code perspective. Then we'll go to the Denali. We'll go to a residential model that, um, you know, it's built for that. So the biggest thing on the party bond stipulation gets into code and, you know, what you can do. Um, my biggest recommendation for folks when they're getting into this is, uh, especially in rural areas, the tendency that we notice is, you know, I'm just going to build what I want to build and I'll worry about the permit later. Depending on where you're in the country, hey, it's not a big deal. And it's funny, if you talk to somebody in Tennessee and you mentioned doing a permit, you're maybe not crazy, but, you know, I don't need that at all. That makes perfect sense. But then in California or Washington, where, you know, where we are, if you talk about skipping it, now that doesn't make sense because it just, just depends on how that state operates. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so yeah, the, the big thing on party barns is, is what does the jurisdiction look like? What do they want to allow or not? And then, you know, is it going to trigger a guest house type code or an ADU type code that needs to be considered? Um, and that's a conversation that we're pretty fluent with. Our team is able to discuss that in such a way with clients where um, I would say we achieve pretty, a pretty high level of success getting them into the right path uh, based on what they're, you know, asking of us and, and where they're talking about wanting to go. Cool. Um, all right. This has been awesome learning a bunch about, uh, your company, the company's history products. Uh, but you know, now, uh, if you don't mind, yeah. when we have experts on uh, the show, we try to bug them for a few minutes with general questions. Um, we call it our fire round just to kind of tap into your expertise. So if it's all right, I'll ask you a couple questions. If you keep answers to one minute or less, it's great, but yeah, I will do my best. It's all good. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, I guess. Uh, question number one, um, it's sort of related to the last question, sure. uh, is can you talk a little bit about uh, working with people using barns um, in your different buildings as investments and sort Ooh. of uh, how, how that works and how the experience would be different? Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm just trying to think about how to do that in a minute. So if it's a basically the type of income generating facilities that we see are usually Either you have on the sort of higher, more heavy capital investment end, you have wedding venues, you have uh, general event venues, you have wineries, you have breweries. Those are usually, if they're financed, they're done on an SBA loan. Most often they're a full business. Um, in the outbuilding world, you have revenue generating activities through usually uh, boarding. So folks will take um, our barns actually work really well as boarding facilities because they're beautiful. There's a ton of value built into the package. Um, those sometimes are on SBA loans, but usually that's through like a farm loan through like a farm credit. Um, and then the one that I think you're probably getting to is more of the um, I built a rental property and I want to rent out the apartment that's in it. So um, that one is probably the most common Basically, um, the, it comes down to, you know, where's the financing coming from? So from an investment perspective, if it's a capital investment, obviously anything in the construction world that is by far the fastest and the easiest, you are in total control. Um, second best to that is obviously going to be the HELOC. So if someone is a homeowner and they're building this on their property and they have equity in the home, um, I know there's probably a ton of episodes that discuss this topic, but the HELOC yeah. is still king because it's basically your cash. It's pretty easy, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, if you've got it. And then and then the construction loan. Um, construction loan is obviously challenging. This does fit 
decently well because um, it's still site built. So right, you know, so you can use you don't need like modular specific. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I know that obviously going a modular path or a full, you know, completely, more completely yeah. done in a factory can be hard to uh, get financing on under, say, a construction loan. But um, so that's the funding side of it. But on the return side, um, the biggest thing and our biggest goal as a company is to help basically. It's one thing to say, offer a good client experience, and I hope everyone says that. Um, but the reality for us is what we want to target is a smooth experience because to us, smooth is fast. Sometimes slow is smooth, but smooth is fast. And so um, what we mean by that is helping plan. Okay, so can we talk about your sequencing? Can we talk about, you know, don't, don't clear those trees until you do your permit, please. <laughs> um, but, you know, is it, is it going to flow quickly through? Because if you are looking at this as an investment, a long period of time from the beginning of putting your capital toward it, toward when you can actually, to your point, have occupancy and start renting, that's a liability that can be really challenging. Um, but once they're in it, you know, does it make sense? I would say a firm yes. Um, there are Reddit communities that follow Barn Pros projects and look for, um, you know, existing ones that are coming up for sale. Um, there's a beautiful riding facility in a little town called Kashmir, Washington, for example, right now that's for sale. And so, you know, that'll get called out. But, um, oh, cool. you know, the, the most common scenario is like a, somewhere between 850 and like 1200 square foot residential apartment that's going to be rented out. Um, the amount you can rent that for obviously varies so yeah. much based on where you are in the, the country. country. Yeah, yeah, but the general feedback we get is that it makes sense for them. Um, I can talk to build costs a little bit to contribute to that. Again, that varies so widely, but there's some. Oh yeah, shit. We, excuse my language. We never talked <laughs> about costs. Let's like let. All right, we're gonna do a quick detour from the. This is all the right. most. Request we'll come back to the thing. fire round. <laughs> uh, exactly. This is not no longer as fiery. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So let's. Let's quickly, um, on one of the, your residential uh, floor plans, um, ideally one that's fully house versus kind of apartment, um, say the okay. Blue Ridge or the Rainier. Um, yeah. Can we go through, uh, you know, pick your sort of big West Coast area, right? Like we get a ton of requests for barns in California wine country, which is an expensive yes. area, but has flat land, et cetera. I'm sure you yeah. guys do yeah, as well. We do. So Napa, Sonoma are yeah. two of our biggest counties. And then right. south yeah. of everything, you know, San Diego. Perfect. Um, we do a lot of stuff so, so let's say I'm looking at your Rainier home, like yeah. 48 by 36 footprint. I guess that's like 2,000 square feet or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I see that it says starting at $133,000. Um, yeah. What is, so what is that? I Assuming... Let's just assume pretty flat lot, pretty easy-ish there. Um, That's a pretty big well, assumption. I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a very it's a very big assumption. But to, ma- to make our life easier, we'll assume yeah, we're in like one that. of the the flatter, more accessible areas. Um, yeah, that that we great. have city power and sewer and all all that stuff. Wow. Um, what is uh yeah what what do we usually you usually see in terms of like sort of finished costs? uh for for something like that yeah super good question so the way i'll frame it is and I, actually i really appreciate the way you lay that out because like i was doing the math in my head i'm like well really the biggest thing is always the site uh, yeah especially much- for material providers like you or a yeah, lot of buildings you're right you know your point on accessibility your point on equipment all of that plays such a big role but so we're going to assume we have a basically a flat site i'm going to take out sort of site prep um the right, drive say prep no septic all that stuff. wow okay i love it so basically the materials package pricing's on the website um, yep. again they are not a you know 
it's not an option where, okay, the price I see for say the Rainier, I need to go add a bunch of stuff to that. Our intent is to offer, if you were to just come to us and say, you know, I want the Rainier barn home. Perfect. You can add zero things to it and it's a fully deliverable home. There is literally nothing else needed. If you want to, most folks want to configure. So usually, you know, folks will grow that. Oftentimes yeah. it comes in less because they'll remove stuff, um, mm-hmm. but it often will grow, say, 10, 20 percent. Yeah. Um, so it's almost. listed at 133, you know, yeah. turned out to be 140 or 150 or something like that. Yeah, that's that's pretty common. Sometimes if folks uh, really want to make it bigger, that's where you'll see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. But fortunately, the Rainier, the way it's engineered, it's really a 24 foot wide structure that we've added two fully enclosed shed roofs to it to use our nomenclature. Mm-hmm. And um, so that one, yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty good mm-hmm. assumption. So April of 2022, call it 140 to 160 range for the materials package. So that's going to have all of from a from, from a you know construction specific look, all of the wood. Um, so all of the frame material. It's going to have all the siding that'll have all your exterior doors and windows in that package. You'll have all the interior framing, so the loft floor, the beaming, um, and then we include um, all of the uh, stud walls material as well, um, all the hardware. And again, that's shipped to site. Everything is good to go. So from a purely material perspective, you're looking at that. Also house wrap, I left that out. Um, What's left to be built, so kind of the next bucket is what we like to use the term general construction. Um, It's close to kind of a dry-in, but a little bit further because you end up with siding and windows and trim. But basically, um, in the kind of bucket A here would be the materials package, as we just discussed. The big bucket of construction being general construction. So what is that? That's basically the material and installation of the foundation. So fortunately, in the Rainier, it's a conforming house foundation most often. So most often, it's a stem wall. Um, They're nothing crazy. Even with the point loading of the posts, that gets distributed. There's some rebar in there to do it. It works really well. So foundation, um, usually they're slab on grade. So that's slab. And then um, the you know construction of all those wood products I just mentioned. So frame it, side it, um, you know, install the doors and windows. So labor for that, and then your fasteners, so your nails. Um, and then lastly, roofing. So we stop at the roof sheeting. There are so many options of what folks want to do. Um, so you'll they'll they'll be providing roof underlayment and the roofing itself. Right, whether it's standing seam or tile or what. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, and so um, you know it just depends on where you're in the country, but usually you see like a to your point a 30 year architectural comp or um, a standing seam metal. We try to recommend away from screw through fastener metal roofing just because there's I mean I don't like the idea of thousands of grommets on my roof, um, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> Um, so that bucket, that's the big one, right? So we had a materials package. We used about 150, the general construction. Um, it's, it's difficult because it depends on where you are in the country. We notice a massive, insane discrepancy between like Texas, Sonoma or whatever is going to be a lot more. Exactly. Or like Woodside, Ohio or something. Um, (laughs) But, um, in Washington, Washington's kind of a middle ground towards the expensive end. Okay. Often we'll see about say $65 per general constructed square foot and that's total square feet. So in our Rainier tier point, that's about 2,500 square feet. Oh, okay. I, so you're saying that's way less than that, but okay. So you're, you're, you're saying that like that, that, that the finishing of the house would cost basically only the same amount as the shell. So that's general construction. That's before our finishes. And so okay. we break it out for folks so they can really kind of dial in if that makes sense. So the first bucket in that case being the price of the package, that bucket we just discussed, that number was around to your point, a little over the price of the package. Um, 
it, it can fluctuate depending on material cost of like lumber versus concrete because it'll change that percentage. But um, basically, yeah. So that second bucket in our case of our model for, for today, that's about 160 to 180, I would say. That's, you know, you took our package, it's built, it's roofed, it has a foundation. You're ready for your finishes on the inside. And now you're talking your inside finishes are just going to be your plumbing, electrical, insulation, wall coverings, flooring. Appliances, yeah. Yeah, and, and appliances. So the nice part is there is a massive fluctuation. And also a lot of our folks are looking more for the empowerment versus handed to them, if that makes sense. So um, some folks will pay a GC just to go completely start to finish. But usually what will happen is they'll have a GC go through uh, the general construction phase. They'll have them do the, you know, at least the rough ends, but a lot of folks will get involved at that point to help with the finishes. They'll do their own, say, sheetrock if they want to, or flooring is a really common one. Cabinets if they're a, if they have woodworking experience, but um, that number can range a lot, anywhere from say seventy five dollars a foot uh, finished square foot on the inside up to like one hundred and fifty if you're importing things and you know doing really smooth walls and stuff like that. Um, it really, really, really heavily depends on level of finish. Um, but I like to use, say, 80 to $100 a foot as a good average once you are framed in just to get to your last phase. That's your finish out bucket. So in the case of our you're at 2,500 square feet. Um, oops. We'll go. It's going to be basically you're coming around that same range. You'll land around, say, maybe 160, 180. Um, it lands to kind of an all-in number is usually where I like to go from a translucency perspective. Um, yeah. Talking about the mechanics can often get really in-depth as we are yeah. just now. But um, realistically, we see a lot of our products, especially in a, a whole house, landing somewhere in between, say, $225 to $300 per finished square foot built. So including the pack, including the inside, including stuff. Um, and by stuff, I mean, you know, kitchen walls, all that good stuff for, the, so, for this, for this, this time in the world, that's, that's quite competitive with what we see in, yeah, in and, other places. That's appreciated. And we, we think so. That's our goal. Uh, we do our absolute best to keep the packages, um, value oriented. Yeah. The point in that is it's a really high end product, but we do a large volume. We have thousands of these, um, you know, we have a, a almost a three quarter, three quarter acre indoor facility where we're doing our prefabrication and adding our components. Um, and so really from a financial perspective, so much rides on, you know, how smoothly does the execution go? Um, and the level of finish, that's the big one. Yeah. Are we and going we, for a party bar? What's the timing? So if I, so if I order the Rainier from you all tomorrow, if I'm in an area of the world where I don't really need much from a permitting perspective and have my GC lined up and all that stuff, um, yeah. between like queue and just time the process takes how long does it actually take to get the package to say yeah so super good question and really what it comes down to again we have such a wide product range i like to we'll, yeah. we'll stick with your rainier example i like that sure you can keep the rainier pretty standard and you're in a place that can be pretty readily engineered yeah um, so you know most of most of our products end up either near water or in the mountains. Yep. Near water means high wind, and in mountains means snow. Big snow. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're on the west side, that means seismic to contend with as well. And if you're in California, maybe liquefaction. And there's a lot of things to kind of get into. But um, if you're in, I think this mythical place that we're discussing today is outside. Yeah, of yeah, yes. Yeah. It's right. flat. There are builders, and there's not a lot of permits. So we're outside Nashville. I'm happy. Um, <laughs> basically, for us to have so. We get started with that deposit. Usually within about a week, we'll have a fully, um, basically 3D designed set of elevations for you. 
So um, the way that looks is we'll cut off basically the first, say, three pages or four pages of a set of plans. So you'll have your isometric views, you'll have a lot of the detailing, you'll have your front sides and rear elevations, and you'll have your floor plan views. Um, so usually that's within about the first week. And basically what we're doing there is taking any configurations the client has. Um, our favorite scenario is if folks take the stock floor plan, but that almost never happens because everyone has um, a, a need. Maybe the closet needs to be a little bit bigger or I don't need two bedrooms, actually one in office or, um, you know, I really want to grow this kitchen, that sort of thing. So really personalizing that layout. Um, so again, that's about the first week about um, it just it depends a little bit on time of year and really, really, really heavily driven by complexity of engineering. Um, but in a great scenario, we'll have another, you know, the fully engineered site specific set of plans to them after another, say, three or four weeks after that. Right now, today and throughout the last year, we were running a little bit longer. Um, we were it was kind of bittersweet in the sense we're very lucky to have an insane amount of work come to us in the last year. Yeah, um, but it also led to a little bit longer engineering timeframes for us throughout, say, 2021. But we're pretty much back to normal now. So in the scenario you and I are discussing, if you call us today, we'll probably have you a set of plans and say anywhere from four to six weeks um, on the fast side in a simple zone or for most of our clients in heavy snow or heavy wind, um, more like eight. Um, uh -huh. But now you are good to go. And so from there, it's permitting. If we're in Tennessee and there's nothing going on um, in terms of a permit, amazing. Yeah. You can pretty much proceed straight to building. Um, and so the actual prep timeframe where we are doing the prefabrication for the select components and preparing the rest of the package, usually we need about six weeks for that. Um, sometimes we can do it less for oh, five. Other times we can do it, you know, if you have a manufactured trust, that might take a little bit longer. Uh, so that might be like um, eight to 12. It just depends on. Uh, last year around Denver, for example, uh, the trust manufacturers were quoting 18 weeks. Um, and, you know, the big the big uh, track home builders were buying, you know, plates for the trust manufacturers and just owning them. So we ended up shipping trusses from out of state to make it work. But um, anyway, so total time frame on that again. Um, right now, blueprints probably between, you know, six to eight weeks and in a good scenario, it's kind of an average. And then in terms of once your plans are ready, the second part of the time frame when you are ready to build, we really only need about six weeks. Awesome. Um, so cool. I'll lay it out this way and then I'll kind of conclude on the timing thing there. Um, the way that works really, really well is um, most often folks have a permit to contend with. So um, while the permit is going on, we'll, we'll be providing help. If there's any red lines on the structure, we'll get those, you know, turn around as quick as we can for them. Um, usually what happens once that permit is approved, that's about the perfect time that they'll call us up. We'll get the actual production pipeline started. Um, usually now with their approval, any remaining site prep that they need to do, they'll get that handled and then um, they'll do the foundation. So if you have any plumbing in the foundation or a radiant slab or anything like that, you, know, you need a few weeks to do that anyways. So yeah. final prep, doing the slab, and then in the you know best executed scenario, mm -hmm. Um, the package gets delivered to site maybe a week or two after the slab is complete. So it's, you know, it's set up, it's ready to build on, and they can just proceed smoothly from there. Awesome. Well, Jake, thank you so much. This has been incredibly helpful. Sorry for going <laughs> a bit out of order compared to our normal stuff. Um, no worries. But uh, it's been really great learning about your company and about your your personal journey. For those um, who listening who want to learn more about Barn Pros, as Jake said, their website's got a lot of awesome content on it barnpros.com. And uh, as always, you can visit us at uh, prefabreview.com. Thanks again.
Thank you very much, Michael. Yep.